Hello and welcome to a caffeinated edition of the Bulb Diction Podcast. Uh, brother Nick and I just had delicious lunch, uh, drinking some tea. I found some yerba mate, and I, I don't know if it's I've got a high caffeine level or whatever, but I'm I'm feeling good and ready to discuss uh, the NBA playoffs. So Nick, basically. We agreed on most things. I think most of our series picks were the same. In fact, all of them, though. Did we have any disagreeing picks um, at the end of the day? We, we had differed on games to some extent. Well, yeah, we had different thoughts within them, but did we have any different, like, final picks? Did... No. I had Pell's Utah, you had Pell's Utah. Yeah. And then I had all favorites in the East. Yeah. So, yeah. So we didn't disagree there, but we had some differing thoughts on series, and I think... Nick has earned the right to gloat a bit. I think he was right on each thing we thought was different. He thought Toronto would roll Washington. I thought Washington had a chance. That we'll see tonight. I'm I'm holding out hope that Washington can counterpunch maybe once, um, but that's not looking great. Um, <laughs> I thought the Spurs would take a game off the Warriors. The Warriors would come out flat. They didn't. They came out very very engaged, um, which Nick was nice. Which Nick uh, agreed with, and. Thirdly, I thought the Cavs would sweep the Pacers. Nick thought it was going to be a little more of a series, and that's clearly right. So, Nick, how are you feeling right now? Very vindicated. <laughs> I think would be vindicated would be the word. Um, our, our sister had a had a great comment on our family thread um, relating to an incident with salad dressing. She said I looked quote unquote despaired, um, but that's not the case. Feeling good, feeling happy, feeling caffeinated. Um, Evie, Evie has a standing invite to be on this podcast, and I've earmarked a Stranger Things podcast for her once she goddamn finishes the season, which she's just been like yeah. watching like Riverdale and crappy shows instead, <laughs> whatever. Um, anyway, you are not despaired. You are very happy. Yes. Let's. So I want to like hit. I want to talk some about the series that are still in question, and then I want to think a little bit about kind of posturing for next round, um, a couple other things thrown in. So first, I think we can all agree the Warriors-Spurs series is over. Definitely. Um, um, KD sprained his ankle last night. Apparently it's not too serious. Um, Livingston sprained his ankle, not too serious. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some injuries to fight through. I watched the replay of KD's ankle roll. It was an ankle roll. Yeah. He would, he would have finished the game if it was in doubt. I mean, he'll... My guess is he'll come out and close game four. Um, mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't, the Warriors have a good shot to close there. Even if they don't close there, they'll roll in game five. That series is over. Yeah. Um, okay. The Houston-Minnesota series, it feels like it's pretty much over. Yeah. I <clears throat> I am really taken aback by how much anger and, like, bitter disappointment I have in Minnesota, which is which is kind of crazy because going into this series, I was very, like, apathetic towards the T-Wolves on account of Wiggins and my, uh, my new feelings of, like, loathing for his game. Yeah. Um, but I guess I was just sort of, like, hoping that maybe Cat could have a moment and, and give us something to look forward to about this team for the years to come. And... I don't know whether if it's just like the moment's too big for Cat or whether Tibbs has just completely gone off the deep end and like has totally lost his mind as a coach. 
I think the truth is is probably somewhere between the two. But yeah, I'm I'm very upset. I would love to see some signs of life from Minnesota. Because I, you know, I don't think that the Rockets have looked like world beaters in this series. I think Minnesota has looked fucking dreadful. Um, no, Houston's shown cracks in the series. Yeah. A so, better position team might have taken a game already. Yeah. So I, I would love to see one game where they're just like, fuck it, Cat is shooting 30 times. And we don't care what else happens. But I think the there's no doubt that Houston is going to actually win this series. The only question is whether the T-Wolves can actually make one game competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think the T-Wolves, I think both teams are worth talking about a little bit here. Um, yeah, I mean, the T-Wolves, if you watched game one, which I did, my first instinct in game one was I had a lot of, like, positive nostalgia because mm-hmm. if you squint hard enough, it's basically the 2014 <laughs> Bulls out there. You've got uh, D Rose, Taj, um, Butler, Jimmy Butler. Yes, yeah. so, like you've got you've got a lot of the cast of characters, and you know it was it was an endearing performance from Rose, um, and you know Jimmy. It's clear has both a wrist injury and is coming back off an MCL tear. So like he's. Like, he hasn't looked good, but he's not supposed to look good. Like, that dude is banged up. Really, this was a series... I, I'm not waiting for a shoe to drop with Wiggins. To me, he is who he is, and it's going to be a catastrophe. They have to pay him as much money as they do. Um, with Towns, this was supposed to be a great series for him. Because I, I think Capella's a really good player. Um, really well-suited for that system. But at the same time, he is not someone who should be able to stick Carl Anthony Towns. And worse yet, the way Houston plays defense, they're very vulnerable to someone like Cat that can score really efficiently inside because they switch all the time everything with a lot of undersized guys. And you see Cat on Chris Paul, Cat on Harden. I mean, that happens all the time. They could make it happen almost every play if they wanted to. So the fact that Cat has been so minimal in a, in a series where he should have a positive matchup is frightening to me. Um, I think it's very fair to point out that Cat played an insane amount of minutes. Someone was saying on Twitter, I think it was Haral Bob, that he doesn't look like he's in good shape. Yeah. I haven't watched enough of him to like speculate on that. I do think he is worn down at this point. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the plays with him just standing in the corner so Jeff Teague can go ISO on Capella, you know, that's... Or, you know, him standing in the corner or screening so that, you know, D-Rose can take James Harden. You know, I I think that has to do a lot too, with Cat being tired and not being like, give me the fucking ball on the block for 38 minutes. Um, that being said, Tibbs just, if you're trying to win the series, <laughs> if you're trying to win the series, <laughs> if you're trying to win the series, like, Cat should be, in you know, your best player. Like, Cat should be getting the ball all the fucking time. And the fact that he's not, it's everyone's fault. Like, you have to blame everyone. It's That's how much of a fuck up this is. Yeah, it's just mental softness from all of them. It is. Um, Your best player cannot not be getting the ball, especially when your other good players are hurt or incredibly flawed. You know, I got to say my my biggest disappointment is in Tibbs. I remember listening to a podcast. He was on your your competitor, Bill Simmons' podcast a couple years ago. I think it was 2015. And he... Had spent he was spending the year outside of basketball, um, and was talking about how he was just going around to like 
different organizations and, and visiting with teams and just like spending time with Pop, spending time with Kerr, spending time with like, you know, all of these great coaches and trying to see what was working with them. And it's just astonishing that it seems like he really has learned nothing. <laughs> like, I mean, to be fair, the, the Timberwolves had a, had a stretch this season where they were looking really good. They also, I think in his defense, they finished as, I think, a top five offense. I'll double check that right now. But it's yeah. not like they were a bad offense all year. Yeah. I do think they left a lot of meat on the bone, don't get me wrong, but it's not like they were a complete catastrophe on offense. Exactly. But, like, so I, I, want, I want to be fair in that respect, but at the same time, with, with, yeah, the amount of, with the amount of talent that's on the roster, they shouldn't be this bad. And, and also just, like, watching this, this very classic Tibbs, like, only using seven people night yeah. to night... It, it also makes me feel like they're like he's especially learned nothing because it seems like every single one of the really good teams um, that are left it, it have at least three people on the bench that they that have a rotational role that they embrace and understand. Yeah, it's. I mean, basically, if you look at the shot distribution right now, almost like so their their highest shot taker. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and speculate, but I would say like three of their top six shot takers, and probably taking around half the shots for the team, are Wiggins, Butler, no, Wiggins, Rose, and Crawford, who are all dreadfully inefficient players. Mm -hmm. And they're getting the ball all the damn time. I mean, Cat, the Rockets are doing a good job just kind of smothering. Um, you know, but... I think with them, it's fatigue. It's also, they just kind of don't know. And part of this is Jimmy Butler going out for as long as he did, but I feel like they don't really know exactly who they're supposed to be. Like, for a time there, when they were surging toward maybe the three seed, it was Jimmy Butler's team, Cat was the second option, Wiggins chipped in when he could, and that was their ecosystem, and Jimmy Butler was like an MVP candidate because he was doing that so well. Yeah. But with, you know, this version of Jimmy, I mean, you get to that end-of-the-game situation where <laughs> Chris Paul blacks out and flings the ball out of bounds. <laughs> um, and you've got a chance for a three to tie the game. And, I mean, this was made fun of on Twitter, but to get the shot they got is just such a sequence of failures. Um, which was Jimmy Butler, like, a turnaround, toe-on-the-line two, fade-away that airballed. Garbage. You just They didn't have enough shooting on the floor. There were guys they could have put in that they did not. They didn't run the ball through someone who's a great shooter. Jimmy Butler, for all of his strengths, is not a great three-point shooter. Um, and there really wasn't any sort of thoughtful action where they leveraged any shooters that were on the floor. Like someone like Cat, who's both a massive body that can screen and someone that can can 40% from three. I mean, just leveraging a screen with him and fucking Teague, you know, Crawford even, that'll get you some space for someone to shoot. Um, so I just I was very frustrated by that. Serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, the only thing that could get me to watch another minute of it is if I get one of those ESPN updates that say the T Wolves are within two, uh, with like two minutes to go in the fourth. Anything short of that, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, all right. So that series we think is pretty much over. Um, two other series we think are 
pretty much over, but we're inexplicably getting great odds to bet on. Boston over Milwaukee and Toronto over Washington. To me, it's pretty clear that one team is better than the other. In Toronto's case, they have a similar talent set, but they're just playing together, whereas Washington has, like, eighth-grade girl drama. (laughs) And Boston has way less talent, but actually are coached. And Milwaukee has more talent, but a lot of, like, pouting and weird coaching. Can we can we zoom in on Toronto and Washington for a second? I just I just wanted to say that um, we we're betting on both those teams tonight and yes. getting positive odds on the money line, which is bizarre. But yeah, yeah let's talk Toronto. So, <clears throat> I my my feeling about Washington is that the idea of Bradley Beal is better than Bradley Beal. Like when I watch him play, like yes, he's a good shooter. But he's not getting that shot for himself. And Scotty Brooks should have been fired on the tarmac after Game 7. Obligatory. Um, Scotty Brooks has not figured out how to get him the, like, the open looks or the quasi-open looks that he needs. So really what you have is a guy who on a functioning team could be like a 20 to 25 point scoring second or third option. Um, but on this team, it just seems like the Wizards kind of panic and throw the ball at him and hope that he does something, and he ends up shooting a pretty low percentage. Now, Wall has actually been really impressive to me in this series. Like, he's flying up the floor, he's had some amazing blocks, um, and just seems like he's busting his ass, but... For whatever reason, like, guys just don't like playing with him. Like, the fact that Wall and Gortat had, like, a little hissy fit fight on the, on the bench after Game 2 while Bradley Beal had, like, his head in a towel, you know, kind of summed up the series for me and summed up Washington. Like, you, you said it well, 8th grade girl drama, that's very fitting. But, like, it, it, what's, what's just so crazy to me about this Washington team is that, like, they just they just don't have that much talent. And, like, they can kind of put it together on some nights to beat the shit out of a bad team or hang with a good team, but I just don't think that they are that good. See, I, I disagree with the lack of talent piece. If you look at their team and say, like, the Trailblazers, I would say it's a very comparable amount of talent, top to bottom. Um, I think CJ is better than Bradley Beal. I think you're right that Bradley Beal is probably a little overrated at this point, but... At the same time, like, you know, I think you could say a similar thing to John Wall that you say about Russell Westbrook when you criticize him, where the way he plays, he needs to hold the ball the entire time. He's not a good enough shooter to have value off the ball. And I think Wall is better at spreading the wealth than Westbrook in a lot of ways, but, you know, Westbrook's a way better scorer and way more productive. And, you know, it just seems like if you're going to have John Wall, everything has to go through him or there's no point in having John Wall. And it's not working going through him all the way. It's clear that Beal looks uncomfortable in the system. He looks way more comfortable with the touches and ball movement system that they had before. Um, Otto Porter, I think you could say a similar thing about, um, you know, go on down the line. There's kind of some, you know, there's a lot of discomfort there. I think Scotty Brooks playing Ty Lawson, who they signed maybe eight days ago over Otto Porter out of the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's just, that's just such an inexplicable decision. I I think defending Scotty Brooks just becomes impossible when he's doing shit like this. 
Like, that's not even, like, a, you know, we wanted... Like, there's no set of facts where that's an okay thing to think is good to do. And I I also... I want to really spend some time praising the Raptors, too. Like, I I made the point in in our last pod that... I think that Lowry and DeRozan are better than Wall and Beal, and it's not close. I stand by that. And I know that, like, Lowry doesn't give you the dynamic scoring, but he is a fucking beast on defense and will hound you. And DeRozan, while he doesn't have the same, like, three-point shot ability as Beal, he creates his own shot. And he's dangerous every time he gets the ball, whether he's coming off a screen, whether he's, you know, sort of catching and shooting, or whether he just gets the ball ISO and is attacking. So I love what those guys are bringing to the table. And I think this series has been a revelation for um, Daylon Wright, who, is, who really is showing like he could be a point guard on you know, an eight or nine seed team. Like, I had, he's another guy who I got to enjoy in fantasy a little bit this year. I, had a, I, I liked him coming out of the draft out of San Diego State, I think it was. Yeah, he's, he's long, he gets the steals, he gets the boards. And he, he gets to the rim. Like, he can, he can really penetrate and, and do some great things. He's one of those guys that went to college for three, four years and has every NBA skill. Absolutely. Like, he's not, he's not like Kelly Oubre, right, where the guy can do two things well and six things poorly. He's a complete player. Um, I mean, it's... Oh, a, he's, he's Utah. Utah, sorry. That's what it is. West yeah. school. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to make one more player note. Um... Valanchunas, JV, he's he's solid. Like, I think that he got very maligned the past couple of seasons because, you know, his conditioning hasn't been great, he hasn't had a lot of outside shooting, and he's not a fantastic defender. Well, basically, he's maligned because Cleveland ran him off the floor in a couple of subsequent postseasons. Yeah, but he's, I think that this is the best version of JV that, that the Raptors have had, and he is a dynamic offensive player. Like, he, he's especially, like, added some outside shooting this year, which I like. He, you know, crashes the boards hard. He's got great touch around the hoop. So, like, I, I just love the weapons that Toronto has and the way that they can attack you in so many different ways and the way that they just, you know, I mean, you said play together. I would say, like, just the fact that they have a real system that they execute. Yeah. They also benefit from, like, the Spurs are, are one of the gold standards of this. The Warriors, when they were... Uh, in their early run were like this. There's a big benefit to having no bad players on the floor ever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, you're in this series and, like, you know, there's that 10-minute <laughs> period of time where Mike Scott is on the floor. Or there's that, like, yeah. six-minute stretch of, you know, Sadoransky, Lawson, uh, you know, I don't know. Markeith. <laughs> yeah, Markeith. Like, it, so, you know, being able to roll out consistently 10-deep of players who are all good, it gives you a lot of flexibility to pick and play lineups that are perfectly suited to fuck over your opponent. Yeah. Um, as far as Lowry DeRozan versus Wall Beal, I think Wall and Beal have more natural talent. As currently deployed, Lowry and DeRozan are better, so it's a chicken or the egg thing. I mean, I think if you got... I think with what Wall and Beal can do, they should be better than Lowry and DeRozan, but they are not at this point. Um... Yeah, I mean, the Wizards, uh, I don't really see a good way forward for them as a franchise. I think you have to, <laughs> I think they have to take a chance trying to sign Boogie to a max and trying to sell Gortat and Mahindi. Yeah, that's the only way forward. I mean, you're already paying Wall, you're already paying Beal, you're already paying Porter. You also should, should you know, hire 
Um, a real coach. Well, yeah, but I was going to say hire a psychiatrist, like hire, <laughs> hire a social worker, like hire somebody who like, or even, or even just like, you take, know what they could do. I was just going to say, maybe, maybe they just take them out to Arizona for a little while, like go out in the middle of the desert, like sit in a sweat lodge, smoke a little peyote, have some like bonding as a team. Like honestly, anything to get these motherfuckers on the same page would be worthwhile. I think, I think John Wall comes across a lot better in the public eye than in the private eye. I think he's, I think it's clear that he's not the chillest dude. I would try and Blake Griffin it. I, I think you just try and sell Wall. Yeah. And you build around Beal, Porter, and whatever you get back. I mean... I don't know if anyone's going to take a John Wall contract that's paying him over 40 mil in years four and well, five. Well, here's, here's the blueprint. You find someone who's on their way out that needs to swing a deal to make the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, try and sell him to uh, Minnesota for Jeff Teague. Try and sell him to... Wow. I mean, dude, these are the moves. Um, anyway, I would the Cousins thing would be funny. Mahinmi's seventeen million a year deal is is just such a catastrophe for that franchise. But whatever, Toronto's going to go through. Um, Can we give one also note of praise? I just I feel like this name is known in basketball circles, but not as much in non basketball circles. Masai Ujiri, who's the team president of yeah, um, we, we said this on the last pod. He's nice. I, really I, good. I want to say he's a genius. And I also want to point out that... Um, I mean, yeah, I think we said he was a top five executive. Yeah. And, and, and I would also just say, uh, this is a tangent, but I, I think it's really telling about who Masai is. That, like, I, I was listening to, uh, to him on a podcast, and, you know, the guy was sort of asking him about, you know, what some of his secrets of success were. And, he, and the first thing he said, I think I've told you this before is that Masai says he hires women. And, like, he talked about how in the world of sports, like, especially in office, in sports offices, women are underrepresented, underutilized. And he's, like, basically, you're, you're, you know, denying yourself half the talent pool if you're not hiring women. And, you know, you could, you could talk about, like, the market inefficiency of, of hiring more women or of, of, like, the fact that women haven't been hired enough. Or you could just talk about the fact that there's really fucking talented people out there who have been, you know, largely ignored in this field. And Masai is capitalizing on, on it left, right, and center. So, um, I just feel like I, I, I love talking about Masai. Yeah, I mean, he's awesome. His His story, like, he... I listened to some, like, how he got to where he is podcast... And I, his transition from, I think he like got a start like kind of with some international scouting. Yeah. Uh, For the magic, I think. Yeah. And then just like kind of kept parlaying that into bigger and better things. And then he was the one who swung the Denver deal for Mello. Ah. Where they fleeced the Knicks like a month, like three <laughs> months before the Knicks could have signed him out, right? Which, you know. I mean, there's still a lot of honor in fleecing a bad franchise. They were a bad franchise. And then he's he's basically been the steward of this Toronto run. He was trying to blow up the team when they sent Rudy Gay packing. And basically the Lowry-DeRozan combo was so good, they decided to stay good, and he's just kind of rebuilt the team through great trades and signings. I mean, you look at everyone who's not Lowry-DeRozan, they're all picks that were like 10, 11 at best, you know, and at worst, you know, free agent signing Fred Van Vliet. So... Yeah, he's done a great job. Um, but let's... I, we got to move quicker. Uh, yeah. So, 
the Pelican series with their win last night over the Blazers looks like they've wrapped that up. Um, I would like to pat myself on the back for being first in the Blazers or overrated corner <laughs> when they were surging. Um, maybe they take game four, maybe they don't, but that series looks over. Um, I, I think um, the Blazers, th- this is a bad matchup for them. Like, Drew, first of all, I mean, I think that even in our wildest dreams, no one saw Drew Holiday, like, being a 30-point scorer while also being a lockdown defender on either McCollum or Dame um, for each game. Like, that's that's amazing. Um, and <clears throat> I, I think also, like, Portland, with with CJ and Dame... I think that if they weren't facing such steep, like, um, like such aggressive perimeter defense, and if they and if they weren't contending with Anthony Davis, who was having one of those like transcendent superstar moments where he's like entering the LeBron, KD, you know, Steph, James Harden level of just like a thirty-five and fifteen every night, um, I, I think that psychologically that's a lot to, to contend with. And admittedly, like, if you're a superstar, if you're a first-team All-NBA guy, like, like Dame has a case to be, you should be better than that. But I, I just, I understand that, that, like, this Pelicans team is a bad matchup for them. And I think that if they were playing the Thunder, they would have done a lot better. Well, I don't know about that. I, so I was trying to short the Blazers the whole way through the playoffs because I just feel like... The way their team is set up, you can steal some regular season games, but I don't buy them as like a bona fide stud team. I mean, Damian Lillard, awesome offensive talent. CJ McCollum, awesome offensive talent. That's kind of all they have cooking for them. You go through the rest of this roster, and it's a lot of like... I mean, Nurkic is like a good center. Um, They have good advanced rim protection stats, and that's you know largely why their defense was so good on the year. Harkless has been hurt. Too, um, they don't have Harkless. Aminu's like a solid defender. But, like, there's just not a lot of firepower there and not a lot of star power there and just not a lot of, like, top-line talent. And then you go through their bench and it's like Zach Collins is a rookie. Pat Connaughton plays a lot of minutes. Shabazz Napier was on, like, four teams. Like, there's just not a lot of, like, wow, this guy's good on the rest of their team. And you look at the Pelicans, who were a worse team, you know, all year. You've got Anthony Davis, who's... Probably the biggest matchup problem in the NBA, short of Durant or LeBron at this point. You've got, and maybe, you know, including those guys. Um, and then you had two guys in Drew Holiday and Rondo who have a very high ceiling to their play, are very proud veterans, and are overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, Rondo because he doesn't give a shit in the regular season, and Drew because he hasn't been healthy for more than a year since that Sixers run he had with Iguodala and Evan Turner. Um also, Portland pays Evan Turner like $17 million a year. That's tough. Yeah. <laughs> just, That's hard to come back it's from. It's just bad. Brad Stevens should get at least five of that yeah. <laughs> each year. He should get a nice check. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the Pelicans had more talent. They've also been better deployed. Gentry's really outcoached Stotts in the series. Oh, yeah. Um, For sure. The Pelicans have like a very thoughtful... I mean, offensively, it's pretty simple, right? AD is so dangerous, rolling to the rim, bunch of shooting, play f- fast because all of them can run. But defensively, they've really been messing with uh, Lillard McCollum. Yeah. Um, kind of like a lot of pressure on the ball handler. Davis is quick enough to show and recover. So they can't get those off the dribble shots. And the swing passes 
the other guys aren't wide open and those other guys can't create. So it's just, they've really suffocated them. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have, I, I have very little else to say. Yeah, like I, that's, that's and I'm on, like, I'm defending the trailblazers because I, I kind of like them, but, but even at the beginning, like we agreed the Pelicans were going to win this series and yeah, I am a little disappointed. But they were underdogs. Yeah. But like both of us saw that this was going to be a bad matchup. Yeah. Like AD was always going to eat Nurkic. I think that what's been, uh, what's really, you know, changed this series is that Drew and Rondo have just absolutely decimated Dame and CJ. Yeah, they've outplayed him. Like, is... But it's like, it hasn't even been close. It's been like, like Drew and Rondo are playing like first team all NBA guys and Dame and CJ no. are looking like... I mean, they're not playing like first team all NBA guys. That's ridiculous. Drew? Drew, first of all, you'd say Rondo's like a first team All NBA guy. He put up like a eleven and eleven last night. Like, congrats. Well, first I'm, team All NBA means you're the best point guard in the I league. Know. Okay, okay, that's a little hyperbole. I meant to. What I was talking about was really like playing like an all star. Because I think that Rondo's flirted with a triple double each game, and Drew, I think, has averaged like in the like between Drew's the three games, awesome. he's averaged like in the high twenties, close to ten assists, and playing excellent defense. Yeah. That's Drew an all star. Drew has been a third-team All-NBA type player this series. And, I, I mean, I'll just leave it at All-Star. Like, the, the distinction between All-Star, All-NBA, like, it, it's not worth going down that rabbit hole. I, all I'm trying to say is that these guys have played unbelievably well, and Dame and CJ have given us next yeah. to nothing. you got to throw some props toward Miritich, too, who was hotter than the equator last night. <laughs> and let me just say, it's, it's rare... That this happens, I think the Nikola Miritich trade was a good trade for both teams. I think the Pelicans needed to have a good postseason to validate um, really everything they've done since Davis was drafted, and they're having that right now. Yeah, um, I think if you go around, you know, they play the Warriors, they can take a game or two off the Warriors. Mm-hmm. That's something to build on. That's something you know you can sell AD on the quality of your franchise with. Um, I'm, if I'm him, I'm still bailing, but. You know, that's interesting. And then the Bulls, you know, they're getting a, whatever it is, first round pick, 15th pick for Miritic. Miritic is a really good player, but as I've said a million times, the Bulls' best prospect is a power forward. Um, They have Portis on the team, too. Uh, (laughs) Can we just, can we, can we just... You don't need three power forwards in your team. Can we say for one second, like, I can't believe Bobby Portis is still on the team. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's an unbelievable amount of like cynicism to sort of say like oh he's a decent player for the money we're spending on him we can totally overlook the fact that he put our another player in the hospital yeah he like broke his fucking jaw unbelievable like that's that's grounds for dismissal in my opinion like forget about it yeah anyway they didn't want to lose the asset (laughs) it's whatever that team is such ass i hope they take trey young um (laughs) we'll talk about the draft later though so okay what i really want to talk about we're not talking about Boston-Milwaukee. That series sucks. Hopefully Boston wins tonight. Yeah. Uh, we should also say really quickly that what Eric Bledsoe, his who with Terry Rozier when he's getting dusted by Rozier is just an awful look. Yeah. that's Eric Bledsoe, I saw a great uh, meme of <laughs> Eric Bledsoe. I don't know if you saw this. It was like him when he got so shook by, by Rozier's um, crossover step back to put them up three yeah. at the end of game one. Yeah. You remember that screenshot? I remember the play. Yeah, well, so, like, there's a great screenshot of Eric Bledsoe basically not quite falling over fully, but being off balance at the free throw line with Terry Rozier 
um, at the wing pulling up for this three. And superimposed over Eric Bledsoe's face is his, uh, is his tweet, I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's really good. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, that's all the series that I don't think are going to be interesting the rest of the way. That leaves us with three good series. Um, OKC, Utah, Philly, Miami, and Cleveland, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Philly, Miami is the one that looks most out of hand right now with Embiid coming back last night and... Looking great. Looking great. I think I was really surprised with how two things with Embiid, and they were both very encouraging. One, that dude was banging. He yeah. was going up for rebounds. He was getting hit. He was popping right back up. That's a great sign for someone with a broken face. Um, and two, his shot was on from deep. He was he shooting a good percentage from three. If you have those two things going for you, um, that's big. One caveat I will say with him, um, this was a point that Chris Vernon made, uh, who's normally not super insightful, but he spends a lot of time around the Grizzlies and Mike Conley had a facial fracture. He said the first game back, you're all adrenaline, you're great. After that, it's much tougher. Mm. Um, so we'll see if Embiid can keep that up, if he's still willing to go into contact when he's a little sore, a little dinged up. But, I mean, right now they look awesome. Um, I think game four in Miami is going to be a really good game. I think Miami's going to come out with a lot of desperation, and I think we're going to see a lot of Phillies medal. Yeah. I, uh, I want to take back a lot of the things I said about Miami. I, I think that my exact lines, I, I could see Miami making more of a fight of it and potentially going through if they had Dion Waiters. I feel bad about that. I think that I think that I was expecting them to 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 have more stuff going on like they did in game 2 in Philly, which is where they're like doing some really cool sneaky veteran plays with with guys that are bad matchups. But the thing that struck me most about watching the series is I'd forgotten how much I dislike Miami uh in the playoffs. And this is maybe going back to, to the big three era, but just like, uh, I don't know what it is about, about maybe it's the Heat jerseys, maybe it's the Miami fans, <laughs> but honestly what it probably is is the unnecessary like physical play and like borderline attempt to injure at times. Yeah, this is some Pat Riley Nick stuff. Like I just, I just feel like I dislike on a personal level too many of the players on that team. And, like, I mean, even Justice, who, like, you and I still yeah. remember fondly from I was Duke, disappointed in him. Like, stepping on JoJo's mask, like, multiple times. And then picking it up and trying to break it. Like, what the fuck? It's just a scumbag. It's so dude. childish and stupid. It's a scumbag, man. Yeah, it's, it's awful. And, like, I don't know, D-Wade tried to injure somebody last night in classic fashion. No, he just, like, pulled the dude over. I mean, it's just D-Wade being D-Wade. I don't know. Nick, I, if you grab someone's arm and pull them down, you're not trying to hurt them. I know, but like it's it's still it's just like there's there's too many of these D Wade being D Wade moments for me to feel <laughs> he's, he's a fuck. He's he's old and his knees hurt and he doesn't want to cover people, so he just sometimes pulls them down. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> watching watching the series has has made me flip to instead of thinking about Miami as like a as like a cute Spurs East, I'm thinking about them. As a bunch of old grumpy goons that are that are trying to um, pull shoulders to to get their get their way out of this round. I mean, for me, they are who they are who we thought they were. They're a bunch of guys who are on you know maybe second third chances in the league or were unheralded prospects are really making a name for themselves. They're the most in shape team in the NBA year after year. They're in excellent shape. I don't know if that's 
legal or illegal. (laughs) (laughs) But they are every year in crazy good shape. And they're really scrappy and they play a ton of guys. So they're fucking really annoying to play against. They all play really hard. And, you know, they lack top-line talent. And if you're a team like Philly that is just dripping with top-line talent in Simmons and Embiid, um, both of whom I think are going to be MVP candidates at some point in their career, uh, you know, they're they're going to be outmatched if you're the Heat every game. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to resort to this bullshit. And Wade was sensational in game two. Uh, it's probably the only reason why that game was as, you know was won by the Heat, but... You know, game four could happen, and Spo can make a couple adjustments, and Embiid could look like not himself, and you know, you've got a result for Philly, or a result for Miami. Um, I'd probably bet on Sixers in six or five or seven, but I see them getting this done. I think it's too tough for Miami to get consistent performance game after game. I also think they. This is going to be true of any team, but I don't know how they cover Simmons and Embiid. I think Simmons is bigger than everyone except James Johnson and the centers, and the centers can't cover him. And I think for Embiid, it's clear you don't want Whiteside out there. That dude's a fucking disaster. And Miami's other centers are Kelly Olynyk, who's not someone you could guard Embiid with, and Bam Adebayo, who I like but is a rookie. Yeah. So I, I just think there's a lot of... When you have no one to cover their team's two best players and those two players are better than anyone on your team, it's not great. Yeah. Um, so I see Philly taking that one. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on that? No. All right, let's talk Cavs-Indiana. So I feel like this would be a sweep. You were a little more bullish on Indiana. I think it's clear from the first two games that Indiana is an infinitely better team, but LeBron is LeBron. Definitely. How do you see this series ending? Um... Well, I honestly got to take it game by game. I think that there's I think that India is definitely going to win one of these next two at home. And I think there's even a, a decent chance they win both. Um I think the Cavs will almost certainly win game 5 in Cleveland and game 6 and 7, I'm not sure. I I feel like I don't want to go on the record predicting one way or another too strongly. My gut is telling me Indiana is going to win. And the reason why is is pretty simple. Basically that the difference between the 2 through 12 spots on both rosters are like the difference between um you know, a playoff roster and a G League roster. Like that <laughs> that feels like the like the gap. Yeah. And I mean Kevin Love has his moments but he also just criminally no-shows. And you know, he did just sprain his thumb in game 2, but he's just he's just like always kind of hurt, always seems a little shaky, and like I feel like I can never count on him to hit the big shot. So I I just I think that if I'm Indiana, and we, we talked about this a little bit off the pod, I think that if, after winning game one that decisively, and in game two, it took like an all-time great LeBron performance where he's basically shooting 70%, getting 40 points, you know, almost getting a triple-dub. Like, if it takes that kind of effort for the Cavs to beat them by like five, you know, where, where Victor Oladipo 
had a two, three to tie. Had a three to tie and also a look, a really good look at the basket to put them within one with 30 seconds to go. Uh, I'm just looking around being like, there's no way LeBron can shoot 70% to get 40 points every game in this series because that's what it takes to beat us. So I think that there's there's got to be some momentum in that locker room where they're just like, you know, we can go get these guys. And that's got to fire them up. I, If I had to predict this series, I would say Indiana in seven. So all of my rational brain agrees with you. It, you they... For Cleveland gets run out of the building in game one. LeBron looks totally disappointed. Game two, as you said, LeBron, you know, 70% shooting, cashing jump shots, 46 points, 12 boards, five assists, is fucking everywhere, and they win by three. And even within that, Oladipo plays 28 minutes because of some bogus-ass foul trouble, and Indiana is plus 11 of them on the court, like minus, you know, 16 with him off. So... You have a couple of things working in your favor for Indiana. You were on the road. Your best player, who's just critical to what you do, missed, you know, played a little over half the game, and you were way better when he was out there. And LeBron was out of his mind, and you still only lost by three. So if you think about that logically, we blew him out, close loss. We're going back home. I mean, you'd feel shortchanged to get a split. You'd think you can win both. Um, But this is just, and I don't really have a rational explanation for this, because if you look at the rosters, as you said, it's playoff to G League. I mean, you've got Darren Collison, who was cashing threes this year and had a really good season. Um, Bogdanovich. Miles, Bogdanovich is a great offensive player, and it's been fine defensively in their scheme. And yeah. They're given some some kind of old-school Carlisle Popovich LeBron defense where there's you stick someone not great on LeBron and everyone else packs the paint. You make other people make plays. Um, so Bogdanovich has been good. You know, Thaddeus Young is... Getting boards over Kevin Love because, as you as you said rightly, like Kevin Love's kind of a shaky guy at this point. Um, and then just all the way down the line, you know, you have good Indiana players, and then you look at you look at the Cavs, and it's like, all right, Kyle Korver's starting. He's forty. You know, J.R. Smith is starting again. He actually played well for J.R. Smith. He was probably their second best player last game. Um, Hood looks terrible. Clarkson is terrible. Nance is kind of one-dimensional. I mean, you like, we were joking about their roster, but, like, it's guys who weren't playing for the Lakers, someone Utah didn't want, um, people who were grossly overpaid. Tristan Thompson's making $18 million to clap. I mean, it, this roster's a fucking catastrophe. I, I'm still going to pick Cavs, and I'm still probably going to pick them in five, if I had to guess anything, just because oh LeBron's God. that good. And there's no other reason, and it's irrational. But I don't... Like, he's just at this level now where, like... And this is like the LeBron bait and switch. He goes into games, and with the way his teams have been playing, you'd say, I'd be crazy to think they're going to win, and they win by 20. You know, I, I, I hear that, and I, I agree. LeBron is that good. However, I think that historical precedent... I, I I think that we need to be wary of historical precedent at this at this time in LeBron's career because you're right he has done this before he's dragged mediocre teams to the finals, um, but I don't think he's he's been this alone and we we talked about how um, he had Kyrie in the 2015 yeah, run. This is his worst playoff group in a series since 
they were in the finals and it was like him and Della Vadova because Kyrie yeah. and Love were hurt. But Kyrie was there all the way until the finals. Yeah. So, so that one, you know, he's he's at least got a, a reliable number two scorer to go to in that series, or in in that in that playoff run. Plus, you're talking about a weaker East. Um, the teams were way, 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 way less developed at that point. But anyway, like this is this is a a, a particularly bad LeBron roster, and I think that there's just so much going on outside of the game that LeBron has got to be thinking about and dealing with. Like he he knows that that there's that this Cleveland situation is a disaster. He knows that um, he'd be insane to stay on the Cavs. Yeah, he'd insane. be he'd be a fucking psychopath. But like, it's not just it's not just that the Cavs situation is bad. It's that there's situations that are really great out there that he could switch to in the blink of an eye, and nobody would care. Like after Kevin Durant going to the literal best team in the world, um, LeBron going to Houston or LeBron going to Philly or going wherever, like people would be fine with that, and like. You know, I think that if I'm, I've said this before, but if I'm LeBron and I'm thinking about what it costs me physically and mentally and emotionally to score 40 points um, with 15 rebounds on 70% shooting against a really hungry Indiana Pacers team, and I'm thinking I've got to do that three more times only to go play the Raptors, like, I think that maybe LeBron has that kind of, like, crazy MJ pride where he's like, you know what, fuck it, you know, even if, like, we're ultimately going to lose hard to the Raptors in the next round or, you know, lose hard in the finals if I keep fighting to Golden State or Houston or whatever, um, I'm still going to do it just out of spite and pride. But at the same time, I think it's so much more likely to say this just isn't worth the effort. Like, why keep this shitty team afloat when I know that I'm not going to be a part of it and that I know that we can't win a championship this year? So that's that's a bad argument. He's going to compare himself to... He's trying to be better than Michael Jordan. If he loses in the first round, everyone would say there's no way Michael Jordan loses in the first round of the fucking Pacers. Absolutely. He knows that. He knows that even if he doesn't win the title this year, the farther he can drag this ridiculous cast of characters that they've <laughs> assembled, the better he'll look. And if he can even like getting to the finals this year with this piece of shit team, that's a that's a Jordan esque performance. Yeah, you could put that on yeah. the level of like titles other people won in terms of individual achievement. They're that bad. Yeah, um, I I agree with you. I think he's insane to stay in Cleveland at this point. And you know, I think I think it's down to three teams. I think he might go. I think we can agree San Antonio is off the board with Kawhi. Yeah, as he is. Uh, yeah. I mean this this Kawhi situation <laughs> has turned the whole world upside down. I also honestly. think there's. I think Pop's in a different stage of his career as a coach. Yeah, um, probably. You know, as sad as the news is with his home life, I think he, you know, I don't want to speculate on what he's going to do, but even, like, during the year, there wasn't a lot he was doing aside from them running their kind of motiony offense. But even then, there was a lot of LaMarcus Aldridge post-up. Whatever. I think LeBron either goes Houston. Uh, I think Philly is possible, but it'd be really stupid. And um, I think he might do uh, the Lakers with Paul George. Mm-hmm. I think Philly it would be insane for him to go there. There's, because the way Ben Simmons plays basketball, it makes no sense for him to not have the ball. Yeah. But, I mean, at, at the same time, though, I think that 
just looking at, at, at the landscape of the league and where the talent is, Philly is where the talent is. And like we've you talked about... You have to think about, when you're making the super teams, you have to have value off ball. Simmons it, has no value off ball. But at the same time, though, you can get three-point shooters to play on that team. Like, you know, Even if you, if you play LeBron, Simmons, and Embiid, and two shooters, that's still a clumped floor. And if LeBron's holding the ball, what's the point of having Ben Simmons if he's not holding the ball? Why do I want Ben Simmons out there if he's just going to be, like, cutting on the baseline like a six foot ten Dwayne Wade? I mean, they would basically have to take turns, I think. I, I think it'd be hard to, like, really develop a, a, a super offense around that. I'm just saying LeBron has had a lot of success steamrolling the Eastern Conference. I think that going to the West does not make a, does not make a ton of sense if you're going to go to the Lakers and start from the bottom. We've, we've, we've had this conversation before. Like... There are eight playoff teams, nine if you want to count the Nuggets, teams in the West above the Lakers who are good and will be back almost exactly the way they are. Yeah. And that's a, that is a, a huge dogfight to get up to the top of that. So if you want to join Houston, which I think actually might make the most sense. Um, what given I've been saying the whole year. Yeah, I know. Props. But, like, <laughs> if you wanted to stick with the tried and true method of, you know, having an easier time going through the East, Philly's your best choice. Plus... I, I think that this this spacing thing might be overthinking it a little bit. Like, I, I don't think that the spacing has to be perfect for LeBron to, 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 to do well with this team. And I think, in particular, it might be kind of cool, like, for LeBron to actually not have to work as hard as he has to work all the time. Like, if LeBron is like, That's you, true you know what, young fellow... But literally, but I think especially with, with Ben Simmons... I think that LeBron can say, I'm going to hang out at the wing. If my guy comes off me, I can hit an open three. I'm LeBron. And, like, you know, at the same... Like, if you if you do, a like, a slash and, you know, there's nothing there and you kick out the three and they cover out, one more pass to LeBron and he can cut in and the defense is so fucked at that point, there's no way he's going to miss. I, so I think you could run that play a million times. I think a LeBron Simmons fast break would be even more potent than a LeBron Wade fast break, and that was the best NBA play for, like, three years. That being said, I think there's a very easy-to-see blueprint for how you'd play against this team. You'd slow it, slow it down, or you'd get everyone back defensively. You'd take them out of fast breaks, and you'd say, all right, beat me in the half court. And when you have LeBron, Simmons, and Embiid out there, Embiid, as we'd said, shoots, like, 32% from three. Plus, you want him in the paint. Simmons has no jump shot. You want him in the paint. Already with those two, it's a little awkward and you need good spacing around them. If you also add LeBron in there, first of all, it's not like Harden and Paul. It's not like Curry, Thompson, and Durant where one guy can hold it and the other two are still really dangerous. LeBron loses value when he's not holding the ball unless there's a ton of space to cut into. Simmons has no value when he doesn't have the ball. Embiid, unless he's posting up, Embiid at the three-point line, I don't really care about. So... I just don't see how that really is a good use of LeBron. I, I just think that, that you're... I think you're right that, like, it doesn't fit nicely into any of the models of success that we've seen before. But I think that it's, it's, it's shortchanging the potential to say that because it doesn't fit into a Steph Curry-LeBron or Harden-Paul uh, paradigm that it's not possible. All I'm saying is They'd that... They'd be like, good. They're all crazy good players. They'd be really good. I just I mean, don't think it maximizes any of them. Well, of course. But I, I think that, like... 
Whereas, imagine him on Houston, and instead of, like, P.J. Tucker lurking on the backside or slithering baseline, that's LeBron. Like, that's just... Yeah. No, I... I would score 30 points a game on 15 shots. I think that Houston makes the most basketball sense, honestly. Um, I just I just have some questions about... Um, yeah, I, I, I just have some thoughts about, like, if he wanted to stay in the East, if he wanted to go younger. Like, I just... I Yeah. I think that Houston, for, for all of the basketball reasons you've named, makes the most sense that way. I just, I just think that there's an interesting, um, like if I'm, if I'm LeBron thinking about preserving my body, um, thinking about like what might even be the most fun to do, um, I think there's a lot of compelling reasons to choose Philly. But honestly, like even if it was just, even if it was just for reasons of like playing with banana boat friend CP3, um, playing with MVP James Harden and like having the floor spacing and having somebody competent in Daryl Morey to run the team. Those are all good reasons. Although honestly, at the end of the day, I am reflecting on the fact that Mike D'Antoni is still the coach and Houston still hasn't won shit. As, as funny, as much as I like to make fun of D'Antoni, he's, he's still like about three steps better than Ty Lue. So let's, oh, of course, of course. He's still getting a nice upgrade. Plus, Plus bottom, bottom rung for sure. With LeBron and Chris Paul on your team, and Harden for that matter, I think you don't need a genius coach. I think having a genius executive is awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, but I want to talk a little bit. Uh, can we agree, though, that there's no way he stays in Cleveland? Yeah. Oh, of course. I think that'd be ludicrous. Yeah, I think that's the worst move he could possibly make. Unless and, they can somehow... No, because Gilbert's still there. Like, it's... There's no one Gilbert less. fired the GM in the middle of the Paul George trade. Like, there's, you can't trust this organization. There's no one less. I mean, like, you're, you're, if you're staying in Cleveland, you're staying for Kevin Love, JR, Tristan Thompson, and whatever they can get with the Brooklyn pick, and that's just not enough. For Kevin Love's subprime. <laughs> and he's... And, and you've got to know, too, that, like, you know, we've talked about Philly, but also Boston's going to be fucking reloaded. Like, the East, while I think is still better... Uh, there's still a, a, a better conference to go through than the West just because of the concentration of power at the top and how shitty the bottom is. Still, like, there's three teams in the East, Boston, Toronto, and and um, and Philly that are going to come to play, and LeBron's got to know. And also, I mean, maybe you'd even include Indiana here because another year and maybe another free agent makes them more competitive. Like, this, this Cleveland roster, even... Adding maybe, like, let's say you add a Paul George is not going to do it. Yeah. So, so let's... But that's let's, a good segue, though. Could I, could I make one last Cleveland thought? What? That, like, I, I, I can't... I, I, I don't even know how, how some of these Cleveland players get out of bed in the morning. Like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, Jose Calderon, like... He gets out of bed in the morning with a walker. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like, and I mean, all of them... JR too. I mean, it's just like it's a it's a it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Like every day is like a media frenzy, is a ton of scrutiny. It makes you like second guess yourself and your worth as a player, as a you know maybe even as a person. And like, um, it, it's just an unfathomable amount of pressure that that like I think that they just utterly and completely are cracking. Them. They're also like there are a bunch of players that aren't that good, and they all don't practice. Yeah, um, like that's that's a recurring story about this franchise is that LeBron's like I'm not trying to get any miles uh, that aren't in a game, so he just like won't practice. You had guys like 
I mean, Wade, it was hilarious, basically got to the heat and lost 15 pounds immediately. I don't know if that's more the heat or being great in terms of fitness or the Cavs having no fitness. Probably both, honestly, because Wade looked like he couldn't move in Cleveland and at least in on Miami, like, he's kind of spry. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a depressing situation with Cleveland. I would never, ever, ever want to play there if I'm LeBron, and I really hope he leaves because he's still got a ton of greatness left, and I just don't want to see it wasted for another year on a crappy franchise with crappy supporting cast. Um, But anyway, I want to talk OKC Utah. Um, It's the last series we haven't touched on yet, and I think the most up-in-the-air series of any of these. Um, I think even with... Cleveland, Indiana, and Philly, Miami. Philly seems like a pretty strong favorite to get through. In Cleveland, Indiana, I mean, I know Nick picked Indiana in seven. I think most people would think Cleveland will get through this. Um, But, you know, that'll be fun. But no one... I guess LeBron going out is big news. But I think OKC-Utah, it's a really 50-50 series, and it would really... I, I could see strong arguments going either way. Nick and I bet on Utah before the series. We both picked Utah before the series. Um, Nick, has your outlook on this series changed at all? No, <laughs> not even a little bit. Like it, it's funny because just re-listening to a little bit of what we said in the last pod is that Utah is a, as a team makes a lot more basketball sense. We like their scheme. We like their coaching. You know, we we like the way the players fit together. Um, a lot more than the Thunder, but uh, you know, like like we saw from the Thunder in Game One, you know, Paul George goes supernova when he becomes playoff P. Playoff P. Like, you know, it, it, they they have an unbel- they have a much higher ceiling than the Jets. I tried to tell you all that Paul George always balls out in the playoffs. I I said that too before the playoff P moniker. Was no, applied. he it, it, it's so true. I, and and I I remember this comment precisely that like. If Paul George plays like his Eastern Conference Finals self, this Thunder team can even, you know, give the Rockets trouble. So, I um, I I don't know what to think. Like, I kind of want OKC to win, even though we bet on Utah, because I think that OKC-Houston series would be so much fun. Yeah, it'd be dynamite. But, like, there's just so much variance in what you're going to get out of OKC night to night. Like, you know, I think that the Jazz are going to bring a pretty similar game every single night. It's just a question of which OKC team shows up. You know, are you going to get full playoff P, fitting in nicely with like with like Russ and Stephen Adams, or are you going to get um, like Russell Westbrook, who's shooting the team out of the game? Yeah. So I like, think, um, I actually, I think Westbrook. Sorry, I want you to finish your point. Uh, I, I was just, I was just going to say, um, I I I just, I just think it's not it's not a. I have no questions about the Jazz. Like, Donovan Mitchell had a spectacular game, too. And I, I you know, I think he's going to score somewhere around 18 to, to 30 every night, and he'll do his part. I'm not, I, have, I have very little concern about him. Especially, did you see those spin moves and floaters in the lane? I saw the him. The game? They needed, they were trying to salt the game away. He works out the whole shot clock. He's one-on-one with Paul George, who's like, I should be defensive player of the year, Paul George. Hits him with, like, a quick... Jab right, spin back left, and before George can react to the spin, he's up and floats it, and it's just a pure swish from like yeah, four feet. It's gorgeous. That's full, full chef's kiss. When you when you yeah. cook someone like Paul George like that in that situation, 
you're a fucking stud. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. But anyway, so like I I don't have any questions about the Jazz. I think that this series totally depends on which Thunder team uh, walks in the door, and that's why I have no idea how to predict it or how to like, you know, or how to make a a prediction. I mean, I, I think that like I'll stick to Jazz in seven. Um, just because I, I like the jazz and for no other reason. Yeah. I, I, I can't, like, logically work out a reason why I think the Thunder are going to win. Um, so, I do feel very vindicated with how I thought about this series. Sorry. Round two. Um, I do feel very vindicated with how I thought about this series. Because I think it was really clear watching game two that this is an awful matchup for Westbrook. Um, between Gobert and I think it's been very smart. They've played Gobert in favors. Having both those guys in the paint, um, and you know I know Melo can space them out a little bit more, but in general, having those two guys around or in the paint at all times, that's just completely clogging shit for Westbrook. And all of his shots at the rim came when he beat Gobert back down the floor off like a turnover. So as long as Utah, who don't usually turn the ball over much, um, are getting back on D. Westbrook's a jump shooter, and you don't ever want Westbrook to be a jump shooter if that's if he's on your team. Um, I the one part of our bet that worried me was playoff P, and he's been playoff P. Yeah. Um, I what I do want to say though, in the Thunder's behalf, and what I'm kind of surprised by, I think Billy Donovan had a really good defensive game plan for this series. He stuck Paul George on Joe Ingles, and completely took Ingles out of the game. Ingles doesn't exist, and that sucks for the Jazz because. Unless Mitchell is shooting it, Gobert's not someone you run plays for. He's like, I'm going to dunk this lob, or I just happen to be in great position. Favors has an 18-footer, but no one's going to write home about an 18-footer. There's a lot of Ricky Rubio in this series. Yeah. Like, he's taking, like, 15, 20 shots in a game. You don't want that if you're the Jazz, and they've really been forced into that because, okay, so he's like, look, he's going to have that shot all day. We're going to collapse the paint as much as we can. Ingles is going to get swallowed. Good luck. And, you know, that's really, that's not where the Jazz want to be. I think it's a really smart uh, playbook. And, you know, I think as funny as it is to say this, I think Corey Brewer is giving them really nice minutes. Um, You know, he's making enough on wide open corner threes where you can't literally leave him alone. And he's a decent defender. So he's really, he's almost giving you what you would get from Robertson, in my opinion. Um, So... I think this is a great series. I think this is going to be really close in every game down the stretch. And I think it's going to come down to how Mello and Paul George and Westbrook shoot on semi-contested shots. I think if they come into Utah and they make it rain, you know, one game and they make it rain in game five, or, you know, they steal a couple games because Paul George goes eight for 11, or Mello shoots okay. <laughs> like, I think that swings the series. I think Westbrook has been smart about not overdoing it. He hasn't shot his team out of the game yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're going to get your couple crappy shots from him, and I don't see a realistic path to him taking over a game with Gobert at the rim. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I totally agree. So, yeah, I think that'll be a really fun series. But, you know, I feel good about a Utah bet. I would keep it if uh, if given the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's most of what I want to talk about. Let's revisit quickly... Who do you still have Philly coming out of the East? Um, I'm really tempted to to shift to Toronto. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Like, 
I think that my my rationale for picking Philly was that I felt comfortable in that they were going to beat Miami, and I felt like they were going to beat whoever they met in round two. Um, and with the Raptors, I felt like facing LeBron in round two was such a non-guarantee that I didn't want to pick someone who might not even get to the Eastern Conference final. Um, I'm now feeling pretty confident they can beat the they can beat the Cavs um, if the Cavs get there. So I'm very tempted to switch. I think I'm going to stick for now, but I want to I want to see these next two Cleveland games because I think if Cleveland does what you've been saying they're going to do, like if Cleveland wins in five, I wouldn't want to switch their factors. <laughs> so uh, let me caveat what I'm about to say by saying that if any one of Houston, Golden State, New Orleans, OKC, or Utah were in the East, I'd pick them to win the East. Undoubtedly. That's oh, yeah. how little faith I have in all of these Eastern teams. Oh, yeah. Um, Philly, nothing they've done. I just don't trust 20-year-olds as much as other people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still built around a 20-year-old and someone who's played 80 NBA games. Mm-hmm. Um, With a broken face. <laughs> who has a broken face. So... <laughs> so that's just with that out in the open. I don't know what the fuck to do. Boston is they're just too undermanned. I can't buy a storyline where they beat both Philly and Toronto or Cleveland. I, they just have too few guns and the fact that as dysfunctional as Milwaukee is, they probably could have won one or two of these games already. Yeah. To me that writes them off. I the Cavs supporting cast is so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Like I I really don't know what to do. I I guess I should take the Raptors. Yeah. But I don't I don't think they have anyone who can remotely cover LeBron and I think LeBron really owns them. And I think that if any of these people get in a situation where they're favored against LeBron to win a series, it's an awful situation for them to be in. I think that's way too much pressure to be favored going up against someone who's that much better than you. Um so I don't I don't even know what the fuck to do. I guess I'll keep Cleveland. <laughs> I guess I'll keep them. I mean, it's so bad. I just don't trust the Raptors. I guess I'm keeping Cleveland. I don't know. Let's let's revisit this next Friday and yeah. see where we're at. Yeah. Um and then quickly, do you give OKC Utah or the Pelicans any chance over the Warriors or Houston in the second round? Um I, I give I give both teams a chance, honestly. Um, I think that Houston has looked far from amazing. I wish I wish that it was the Pelicans lining up with Houston so that I could fully, you know, just root for New Orleans all the way through. Which I think I'm kind of doing anyway. I'm I'm gonna cheer for them until they go out. I'm just so happy with Anthony Davis and having so much fun with that team. Um but yeah, I wish that they could play Houston. Um, I think whoever comes out of that OKC Jazz series will have a shot. Not a good one. Um, I mean, if we have lights out playoff, playoff P, maybe, maybe OKC has a real shot, but I I think probably just given the, the basketball sense that Houston makes, uh, I think they'll probably get through. Um, and with Golden State, I think the only, the only reason why I'm giving, you know, the Pelicans a shot, most likely the Pelicans is that I saw a story today that Steph Curry's not fully ready to play, and he's he sort of said that, like, I'm not close yet. So 
I think there, that he'll still probably get some rest and and you know probably be back midway through that series. But I am thinking that like New Orleans would be would be coming in really really hot and you know AD is a, is a crazy cover. I, I think you probably have to stick Durant on him. Um, no, you stick Draymond. But he's so much bigger. Draymond is just, he's so smart, it, it doesn't matter, which is what's so incredible about Draymond. Interesting. Well, that, that, would, be, uh, that would be an incredibly well, stick, fun match. You'd start with JaVale on him. You wouldn't stick JaVale on Miritich? No, you'd stick Durant on Miritich. Because JaVale, they, when they stick bigs on Miritich, they just run him off screens like he's Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. and JaVale would get lost after like one screen. That's a good Durant point. would hang. Or they'd just switch him off. I, so I agree with you that I think these are going to be interesting series. If I do think the Warriors are a bad matchup for the Pelicans because the Warriors have Kevin Durant and Draymond Green to throw at Davis. Kevin Durant especially like has his exact physical skills, which is part of the reason I think Durant is someone with no flaws on a basketball court. Um, plus, I think it's a great situation for Steph to come back in where he can guard Rondo. Um, yeah. That's just kind of chill. <laughs> um Getting Drew Holiday would suck, but then you get to run Rondo off screens covering Clay Thompson, which is sub ideal for him. I also think playing at a lightning pace won't help you against a Warriors team that thrives on chaos. Um, so I just think it's a bad matchup, and if you're getting any sort of Steph Curry, I think it's over. I think with a diminished Steph, the Pels could steal a couple games, but I still have the Warriors rolling through. Uh, we talked about this a bit in the first pod, but even though I think Utah's better than OKC, I think Houston dusts Utah. I think Gobert has no chance at hanging on a high pick and roll with Harden or Paul running it. And I think there's a chance they could play Gobert off the floor that way, which is really bad. <laughs> really bad for the Jazz. Um, and then I th- but I think OKC against Houston, I think that's Westbrook's dream, right? A lot of undersized guys near the rim, a ton of open space, a ton of like loose possessions, um, places he can just chill on defense where he just stands next to a shooter. Uh, yeah. You get to stick playoff P on on James Harden and Corey Brewer on Chris Paul. Um, I just really like that matchup. I think Adams can little boy uh, Clint Capella in a lot of respects and kind of hang with the lobs. Um, and, you know, Melo sucks, but he can go against P.J. Tucker and Ryan Anderson. It's like not a big deal. <laughs> it's like looking in a mirror. I think, especially with the demons Houston has, and especially with the the fact that Chris Paul looks awful against Westbrook, I would be tempted to bet on OKC over Houston, whatever gambling line is there. Absolutely. Um, but I think Utah rolls. Anyway, let's, uh, let's call it there. All right. Good shit. We'll, uh, we'll return later in the postseason with further, further insights. Um, but thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more. And see you later. Okay.